Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. On today's episode, we meet the Crossroads 7, a down-on-their-luck musical ensemble. A chance run-in with an unusual couple could just turn their fortunes around. I hope you enjoy The Bold and the Desperate, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the Crossroads 7. This band is available for hire for events and celebrations of all kinds, including weddings, wakes and barroom brawls. They provide the perfect soundtrack for everything from throwing a party to throwing a punch. The Bold and Desperate, by Mason Crawford, David Tanja Ivey, and Tim Akers. The interior of the Crossroads Inn was dimly lit, and that was its finest feature. Dingy wallpaper hung from the walls, tattered in places, patched in others, a mismatched tapestry of scraps that failed to cover the clapboard walls. The patrons matched the walls a motley collection of leftovers that failed to cover their tabs more often than not. The band playing on the rickety stage droned through the motions. There were too many of them on stage, and not enough talent. Seven players, and maybe two decent notes among them, and those didn't really go together. The door opened, and a pair of people walked in. They were dressed impeccably, the man in black, the woman all in red. They stood just inside the door, surveying the hall, eyes falling on each patron, weighing them and discarding them in a heartbeat. The man took a deep breath, then let it out in a long, frustrated sigh. Well, he said quietly, this is appropriately miserable. Chin up, love, the woman answered. Who needs fortune more than the unfortunate? Not enough luck in the world to turn this lot, he said. At least we're out of that disgusting swamp. Ugly green little monsters. Come on, we could use a drink. She bowed slightly, taking his arm before the pair of them wound their way through the jumbled tables. They claimed the last decent table, far enough from the stage to be private, close enough to the door for a quick escape, with a good view of the whole room. A waitress came over, clearly surprised to have customers who might have cash. The man ordered a bottle of the establishment's finest wine and an equal measure of their best whiskey for the lady. When the waitress was gone, he turned to his companion. Well, he announced, clapping his hands together just loudly enough to disrupt the band, that did not go according to plan. 
It did not, the woman agreed. The gambler would have made an ideal host. Which is why that parasite already had its hooks in him. And a creature like that will not be easily displaced. That man will need more luck than even we can provide to survive that. Partnership. Do not speak ill of our fortuity, dear. The woman's eyes scanned the room, lingering briefly on the band before continuing on. The singer took her attention the wrong way and redoubled his meagre efforts. There will be other hosts, perhaps even in this place. The man winced at the band's sudden enthusiasm, scraping his chair as he turned away from them. The waitress came with two bottles, both equally dusty. The man accepted them hesitantly. Yes, I suppose this is the best we could hope for. Thank you, my dear. Keep these coming, he said with a dismissive gesture. I think... I'm sorry, sir, but I think that's the last bottle of that vintage we have. I believe you'll find more if you look hard enough, the woman said. The waitress looked confused, then disappeared into the back. The man watched her go. Her? he asked. Don't be crude. We've yet to fall to those depths. Haven't we? The man cracked open the wine, pouring himself a heavy glass and downing it in one mouthful. He flinched, examined the bottle once again, then quickly poured and drank another glass. These are some pretty foul depths, my love. Only alleviated by your company, of course. You are a man who lacks perspective, she said. She leaned back, cradling her glass of whiskey. He never saw her drink, even though the bottles always emptied around her, and the warm haze of liquor filled her breath. Her eyes fell on the band again. Misfortune is relative. We are in a better place than many of our kin. The dead look up and wonder at our joy, he said, and bless their fortune to no longer be misery's toy. You're a real pleasure to be around sometimes, she said. Get some perspective. Look around. The world is rife with opportunity. Is it? He looked around, grimacing. I don't see anything. The band, she said, nodding in their direction. The man twisted to stare at the stage. Their combined attention drew out the nerves of the performers, and for a brief second the whole song went sideways. The man snorted. Hardly a rich prospect, he said. They have talent, mismatched and struggling to fit together. But the raw spark is there, and there are seven of them, an auspicious number. Seven hells, seven plagues, the man answered, counting on his fingers. Seven sins, she interrupted, and he paused, eyes narrowing as he stared at the band again. You see it now? I do, he answered. Not quite the potential of the gambler. Forget the gambler, she said. He's lost to us. Look at what's in front of you. Look at the possibility. All they need is a little luck, a push in the right direction. Indeed. He sat thoughtfully, finishing off the bottle and setting it aside. The waitress appeared immediately, replacing the bottle with one that was less dusty and of a slightly nicer vintage. The man uncorked it with a flourish, poured and drank. A little fortune indeed. The filth of the Malifaux slums hadn't yet tarnished the bright ink of the poster. It stood out against the building's soot-stained wall, a single square of colour against a sea of dingy wood and smeared ash. 
An artistic depiction of seven musicians dominated the poster. The men were handsome, the women beautiful, in the way that audiences expected their performers to be more attractive than was actually possible. The whole group was surrounded by a fireworks display of colourful notes that seemed to spring off the surface of the paper. Wild flames and arcs of lightning radiated from their instruments. One night only, the poster read. Pandora's finger traced the bold lettering, nail scratching against the ink. Exclusively at the Star Theatre. Fortune's favour. She straightened up, peering at the faces of the performers. Fortune's favour, hmm, she thought to herself. Interesting. Pandora had spent the better part of the night staring at the poster. She had scrutinised every inch of its surface, sometimes drawn in by the twist of the singer's mouth, or the sparkle in the eye of the fiddler, or some other detail she had missed the first time through. Each time she turned to leave, something would catch her eye and draw her back. She shifted her puzzle box from one hand to the other, her fingers absently tracing the edge of its lid. Fortune's favour. The voice came from over Pandora's shoulder, startling her. She spun around, her fingers tightening on the box as she prepared to open it and punish whoever had sneaked up on her. But there was nobody there. After a moment, Pandora realised the voice must have been her own. Fortune's favour, she repeated, this time consciously. The box trembled in her grasp. Rough wooden sides rattled against her rings. Pandora stared down at it. She stared up at herself from within the puzzle box, in surprise. A moment of vertigo seized her, and she pressed her free hand against her temple and closed her eyes. As far back as she could remember, don't try to remember, she had always been a bit unstable, but the vertigo was a recent affliction. She knew what it meant. Don't think about it. She didn't know what it meant, but she was worried. Don't worry. She wasn't concerned about it. Pandora's head tilted to the side. Fortune's favour. She opened her eyes and found herself trapped inside a steel box. Black walls rutted with claw marks, familiar, stained with the centuries of her imprisonment. She opened her eyes and looked at the poster for the first time finally seeing the pattern in the colours, the meaning of the words. Fortune's favour, something said. She stared upwards through the roof of her prison as the thing in her body reached out and touched the poster, tracing her fingers across the image. No, not tracing, clawing. One of her fingernails tore through the paper and then broke off on the stone wall behind it. A trickle of blood smeared across the parchment, soaking into the paper and turning the faces of the performers a deep red. Pandora jumped back in shock. The puzzle box tumbled out of her hands and landed on the brick pavement, clattering as it came to rest against a pile of trash. Pandora stared at the jagged nail, flexing her hand angrily before biting down on the injury, sucking away the blood and the pain along with it. Bloody box, she muttered. She snatched it off the ground and pressed down on the lid, as if she could squeeze the box tighter shut. Leave me to it, will you? I know my business. Ma'am, are you all right? The voice snapped Pandora out of her thoughts. The puzzle box was firmly nestled in the crook of her arm, and her hand was pressed up against the poster, 
a few droplets of blood welling up around her broken fingernail. You are mine. Pandora took a deep breath, calming the fury of shaking in her arms, the fury that was boiling its way through her blood. She slowly lowered her hand and turned to face the speaker. He was middle-aged, with wisps of salt and pepper hair peeking out from beneath a green wool hat. A matching coat hung around his shoulders, and beneath that she could see the dull, faded blues of denim overalls. No, I'm unwell. I need help, she tried to say. But what came out of her mouth was, I'm fine, thank you. Her lips pulled back in a smile, and she gestured to the poster behind her. Do you know anything about this show? About these performers? Fortune's favour. Quite the name, don't you think? You're a side braver than me, then, the man answered. Rumour going around town is that those folks are the Crossroads Seven. The Crossroads Seven? Pandora asked, arching her brow. Am I supposed to know who that is? The man quickly glanced over his shoulder to see if anyone was passing nearby, then stepped closer and lowered his voice. There have been stories about him for a few years. A violinist shows up in a northern contract town and performs, and the whole town descends in a debauchery. Big fellow with some drums plays a few beats down in Edge Point, and everyone listening falls on each other, biting and clawing and eating their neighbors. How terrible, Pandora said, though her voice carried a thrill. And now they're all going to be in one place. Interesting. The man shrugged. Like I said, you're braver than me if you're going to that show. Gods know what will happen. They do indeed, Pandora said, nodding absently. Her mind already working out just how she was going to get into the theatre. Was there time to find someone with a ticket before the performance started, or would it be easier to try and slip into the back? The theatre's owner, that sequined bird of a woman, was notoriously crafty and would surely have traps in place. Show opens tonight, the man reminded her, as he shoved his hands into his pockets. Not much time to find someone. Pandora nodded again, and I don't want to end up in another battle with that woman. If you're recognized, I'd probably cancel the performance, and that's no good. The man bit his lip and looked up into the night sky. You need to catch them in the act. He laughed at his own joke, a sharp bark that rattled the box in Pandora's grip. Of course, once the performance begins, they're probably not going to have many people taking tickets or watching the doors. I could just walk right in, the man said. I do love making an entrance. Pandora froze as she realized that the words she meant to say had come out of the man's mouth. She stared at him in dawning realization. A shiver of anger went through her. Bloody box. Pandora, he said drawing her attention. You know what they're going to try. You have to be there. We have to be there. The man loomed over her, his form growing in size, even as it became less distinct and humanoid. Wisps of darkness lashed out from the creature's sides, and its face dissolved into a tattered mask of horror incarnate. Pandora squared her shoulders and faced the creature. I'm not the one in the box, she snapped. The vision hesitated, and Pandora's face twisted into a smile. We will go, yes, but on my terms, and in my way. It's going to be a marvellous evening, she said, stroking the hard edges of the box. 
How fortunate I'm able to make an appearance. The sun had only just finished dipping beneath the horizon when the first of the musicians arrived at the Star Theatre. The vocalist's gait was uneven and staggering, his bald head lowered and swaying with each step. Muttered curses fell from his lips. To the casual observer, the man was nothing more than another hopeless angry drunk. His patrons were waiting for him at the service entrance. The vocalist slowed his pace as he caught sight of them and curled his hands into fists. The hell are you doing here? he growled. Something moved behind him, an afterimage of a ghostly shape superimposed upon the real world, and whispered in his ear. His head twitched at the voice, but his smouldering gaze never left the couple. The man in black stepped backward and motioned to the service entrance with a flourish. You have a performance tonight, dear Roth. The show of a lifetime. A growl rumbled in the back of Roth's throat as he repeatedly clenched and unclenched his fists. The damnable voices in his head, the ones that had been with him ever since that night in Crossroads, urged him forward, urged him to leap and tear the sources of his pain into pieces, and for once he felt no guilt in giving in to their prodding. He took a step toward the pair, his muscles tensing, and then froze in place, his body refusing to obey his commands. His snarl of anger tightened in frustration as his legs betrayed him. He lifted his hands and stared at them, rage filling his head as he tried to curl his trembling fingers into fists. He couldn't move. The man by the door made a sympathetic sound, which drove Roth further into a rage. A shout interrupted his roiling thoughts, and Roth turned to see the band's guitarist strutting down the street toward him. With his black leather vest, matching hat, blue jeans and carefully trimmed goatee, Pride was the embodiment of carefully groomed self-indulgence. He walked like every step was a gift to the ground, and smiled like a man about to offer to sleep with your wife. His jeweled guitar was slung across his back, and held in place by a sequined harness. Look at all these sons of bitches standing there slack-jawed and awe, the guitarist laughed. He clapped Roth on the back, earning a glower of hatred from the larger man. My man, how are you doing? In response, Roth took a step closer, leaving his face just an inch from Pride's. Touch me again, he growled through clenched teeth, the vein on his neck throbbing with barely restrained rage. Do it. Pride held the vocalist's gaze for a long moment, then grinned and stepped back, his hands raised to his side. I know everyone wants a piece of this, but I gotta save some for the ladies. He shaped the fingers of his right hand into a gun, feigned shooting Roth and winked. Let me kill him, Roth growled. He sought to look over his shoulder at their patrons. You know you want me to do it. Let me tear him limb from... Enough, the woman in red said. There is no time for games. The others should be arriving soon, and you'll all have a curtain call to make. No shit. Pride placed his hands on his hips and grinned. We're playing tonight? Hell, I wish someone had told me. I would have brought my guitar. The man in black motioned toward the instrument on the guitarist's back. That guitar, dear Pride. Pride's grin faded. He reached over his shoulder and slid the guitar to his belly, staring at it in confusion. He pushed back the carefully worn brim of his leather hat, 
and scratched his well-groomed hair. Huh, not sure when I grab that. Something to muse over as you prepare, the woman said. She motioned to the service entrance behind him. Hurry along, there's a packed house waiting for you. The two musicians shuffled past them and into the Star Theatre. Pride's face was scrunched up in thought as he tried to remember just when he had scooped up his guitar and decided to travel to Malifaux City. Roth was less thoughtful and just glared violence at the couple until he was out of sight. The woman in red waited until they were out of earshot before speaking. They're becoming more difficult to control. Her companion stepped up behind her and wrapped his arms around her waist, prompting her to lean back into his embrace. Do you think it's a problem? She stared up into the evening sky. No, it's just... She sighed. I really wanted the gambler. So did I, the man in black admitted. He would have been a powerful host, had that voracious parasite not latched onto his soul. He gave her a reassuring squeeze. It won't matter after tonight. Nothing will. The woman smiled despite her concerns. How many of us have reached this point and felt the same? Only to fail at the last moment. December, plague, Cherufe. It's almost as if they hit a streak of bad luck at just the wrong moment, he chuckled, prompting the woman to look back over her shoulder at him in amusement. In that moment he felt her tension and doubts, their tension and doubts, melt away. Applause filled the theatre as the curtain parted, and Angelica Durand stepped out onto the stage. Despite her sequin dress, and the plunging neckline and side slit that, when taken together, were more than enough to qualify the dress as scandalous, it was her beaming personality that drew all eyes in the packed building to her, from the private booths and balconies to the floor seats and theatre staff. Welcome, welcome to the Star Theatre. Assisted by the theatre's acoustics, Angelica's powerful voice had little problem reaching the back seats. She paused as the audience responded with more applause, a genuine smile on her face. She lived for moments like this, the moment that made all the hard work and sketchy missions worth it, the moment of performance and the attention of the crowd. As the applause died down, Angelica strutted across the stage, drawing the audience with her. I can tell we've got a great crowd here tonight. In addition to the usual rabble, she gestured to the common area and was rewarded with raucous hooting and hollering from the workers packed into the narrow benches. Tonight we're also rubbing shoulders with the rich and famous. Raising a sequined hand, she began to count off each name on her fingers. Winston Finnegan of Winston's Dirigibles. Ockerman of Condor Rails. Loonheed of Alpine Firearms. The famous talent scout Sebastian Baker. Angelica's voice trailed off as she fanned herself dramatically. All the money in this room is enough to make your girl feel faint. Laughter rumbled to the crowd as Angelica tossed them an exaggerated wink that could be seen from the theater's rear. Thankfully, we have the perfect performance for such a fortunate crowd. Elegantly crafted music that will appeal to the refined tastes of the wealthy while still letting us poor folk do a bit of hip swing. She swilled her hips as she said this last part, throwing the theater and especially the common seats, into whistles and cheers of approval. Angelica threw her arms wide. Without any further ado, I give you fortune's favor. Arms high, she strutted off stage left as the curtain behind her rose, revealing the band. Strangely, 
Each of the performers was dressed differently, as though they were thrown together at the last second. Both guitarists were dressed in a casual way, but the bass player was dressed in a shabby, tattered suit that had clearly seen better days. Standing in contrast to them were the vocalist and drummer, neither of whom have bothered to put on a shirt. The audience quieted as the band took up their instruments, leaving only faint murmurs here and there. It was the pianist, Envy, who drew the most attention, as he was seated at the centre of a massive steamwork organ, the pipes venting steam. He began the show with a long and droning key. Lust joined in on her violin a second later, with a complimentary melody that quickly turned sour, weaving back and forth between frenetic energy and screeching dissonance. The drummer, his head bowed and shoulders slumped, started banging out a bewildering rhythm that filled the star with urgent noise. As the vocalist wrapped his hands around the microphone, the audience shifted in their seats, uncomfortable and yet drawn into the performance. In the cheap seats, the crowd started to shove one another, fingers quickly clenching into fists as the song progressed. The woman in red turned to her partner. From their place in the balcony, they had a perfect view of the mayhem starting to unfold below. She lowered her head and rested it on the shoulder of the man in black. I love it when things fall apart, she whispered. He smiled and folded his hand over hers. Yes, it will take some incredible fortune to get out of this alive, he said, then leaned forward, a frown creasing his brow. Some of our subjects are stirring, my love. A commotion was starting in the box seats, where their luckiest victims were seated. Winston Finnegan, a plump man surrounded by his plumper harem, was getting up from his seat. His personal bodyguard was in the process of escorting him out. A heart attack should have taken that man ten years ago, the man in black said, and fortune will have its due. Only a few moments more, his lady answered, and the music will have him. We don't have a few moments. Without Finnegan, this won't go off. He raised his hand and gestured to the band. Like marionettes, the band members jerked upright, eyes wide as their will was snagged by the man in black. He spread his fingers, then clenched them into a fist. The music, already frantic and mad, pitched into a maniacal cacophony. Notes blurred together, and the ragged sound of the singer's voice turned into a roar. As one, the roughs in the cheap seats stood up and started tearing each other apart. Among the more genteel members of the audience, the effect was more subtle and more disturbing. A slow atrocity swept through the crowd. The woman in red stood, grabbing the banister as she leaned forward. In his box, Finnegan slowly sat down. He turned to one of his wives and cradled her head in his palm, drawing her closer. As their faces touched... The baron of dirigible manufacturing and self-made millionaire opened his mouth and sank blunt teeth into the woman's cheek. She screamed as the blood flowed down Finnegan's chin. It's working, the lady in red whispered. It's working! Yes, the man answered. And now the question. What do you do when your luck runs out?
That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.